With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I am Eric Kane with Awesome Price, Grant Ramey, and Brent Hubs. It's presented by Exterior Home Solutions each and every week for a free estimate. Give them a call today, 865-524-5888. Gusty winds on a Monday here to begin this week. If you need any repairs done, any solutions to your home, Exterior Home Solutions is the place for you. Again, 865-524-5888. A lot going on. It was an eventful weekend for the University of Tennessee in the NFL Draft. Five volunteers selected in the first three rounds. Of course, top 10 picked Chicago Bears, Grant Ramey's favorite team. Darnell Wright goes number 10. And then the run on volunteers there at the beginning of the third round. We'll get into each specific placement here in just a moment. But first, Brent, kind of overall thoughts on uh, Tennessee showing in the NFL Draft this past weekend. Well, I think when you look at it from the standpoint of Tennessee had, what, five players taken in the top 75 picks, um, something like that. I mean, that's a great marketing tool, and that's a great reference point, and that's something Tennessee can sell. Um, Obviously, there's some things Tennessee is going to have to kind of counter that's out there about Tennessee, the narrative a little bit uh, with the offense and it not being a, quote, pro-style offense. That's something I think Josh Heupel is always going to have to deal with, particularly until somebody really hits – you know, per se in the, in the NFL um, from, from Tennessee. And he's not had a chance yet. It's not like anybody's failing there. The Buffalo Bills receiver from Central Florida had a great year last year. So it's not like they don't have success out there in the draft. But you're going to hear that narrative out there. My biggest takeaway from the draft in general, uh, guys, and anybody can jump in here that wants to, is too many versions of a mock draft. There, there's too much out there um, – too much movement with guys that that I think is a reminder to me, and, and I like the draft, but I didn't follow it because Tennessee hadn't been as involved. I hadn't followed it, you know, day by day as I have. But, Grant, when you've got, you know, Hendon Hooker in the first round in, in a mock draft and the same guy two weeks later has him out of the first round and he ends up going in the third round, there's just a lot of false narratives out there. And I, I think that's something that is a, is a cautionary tale, as Jesse Simonton pointed out in his column, about Will Levis, but I just it's a reminder that there's a whole lot of guessing going on. And, and there's some movement going on, I think, to draw some interest and draw some, you know, some storylines, if you will. There's just so many people, and there, like you said, so many guesses, so many mock drafts. It lasts so long from, you know, the Senior Bowl on through all up until draft week. It's like there's a new mock draft out every day from somebody and there's a Mike Tannenbaum that's putting hooker at number five overall. And does he really believe that? Or is he just doing this to, you know, get some eyeballs on, on what he's working on? Like, you know, and it's, and it feels like the longer you go through the process every year, there's that one quarterback that kind of just keeps climbing and keeps climbing and keeps climbing. And you wonder what's happening given the fact that he's not playing football. He's, you know, he's, he's going through the pre-draft process. It's just people talking basically. 
and individual workouts and all that stuff. But with Hendon, you know, he's not even able to work out. He's just meeting with teams. He went to the senior bowl and, you know, he was just there hanging out and, and meeting with teams and going through interviews and stuff like that. And I guess that's why he started to climb uh, all those mock drafts because of how impressive he is in an interview session and how, how well he speaks for himself and uh, what people talk about him at Tennessee, the people around him. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's speculation, it's guesses, it's people trying to plug in where they think he might go. Um, but like Brent said, top, you know, five guys drafted, I think it was in the top 100. Uh, is that right? I think only Alabama seven had more than Tennessee. That's right. In that, I think Georgia had four, Penn State had four, maybe Ohio State, something like that. So, I mean, it's, it's disappointing that they did slide to the third round, all, all four of those guys, and they didn't go higher. But at the same time, like Brent said, it's it's good uh, it's good material to recruit with that you've got your guys, uh, five guys drafted in the top 100 at the end of the day. I feel like if you take a step back, um, and again, I want to get into specifics with these players here in a moment, but Austin, kind of what Brent said to begin things off, if you take a step back and just sit here and say, all right, Josh Heupel, second-year head coach, five guys drafted in the top 80 or top 77, he had a top 10 pick in Darnell Wright. You know, regardless of some of those guys should have been picked higher, they slid or whatever, from a recruiting standpoint and from a program development standpoint, player development standpoint, I mean, that's got to be a great weekend and a great tool moving forward to try to get more blue chippers into your uh, into your program. Yeah, it does. I mean, like, again, I, I think for, you know, for some prospects, they'll, they're going to hear a, a negative pitch from a school and they'll go immediately – roll their eyes because they don't want to hear a negative pitch. Some kids are going to hear it and, 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 and it's going to become a thing for them. Um, and that goes way, that way for anybody. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, every kid, you got to find out what makes each prospect tick. So you can't let it affect you in recruiting um, because again, every kid thinks differently, but, but for Josh Heupel, I think, you know, it, it still ends up being super successful because of the totality in the top 75. Right. Like if this was, you know, if they if they went, you know, 133, 156 and then, you know, basically if you'd had three in the top 75 and then the other two spaced out. But because Tennessee had that run in the third round, when you look at the totality of it all, it looks really impressive. I, I if I'm Josh Heifel, I do wish that you could have got a Banks or a Carvin in there in the sixth or seventh round just to add to your total. You know, the number you were at after day two is where you ended it for the whole draft, um, which is still, you know, I mean, you look at it, I mean, there's only, you know, a handful of teams nationally that had more draft picks than you did. Tennessee's got to find a way to do that more next year. Well, and I'll say this. I mean, if you go back to Josh Heupel's first team meeting, who would have said, though, that that, that was going to happen? Nobody. If you, if you go to his first team meeting and you look at who's in that room and where guys are and who guys are at that point, Who's sitting there going, all right, they're going to have five guys taken in the top 77 picks. No, no, Nobody had Darnell Wright going in the top 10. No, I mean, Cedric Tillman was an afterthought in that team meeting. He hadn't played. Uh, Jalen Hyatt was, you know, just kind of being, you know, trying to figure it out and was struggling to figure it out. Um, Hendon Hooker was – I mean, when Hendon Hooker committed to Tennessee as a transfer, everybody said, who, what – like, like it, 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 it resonated to no degree. Austin Price when Hendon Hooker committed to Tennessee. Well, I, I think, it, I think it resonated just a fraction, only because people pulled up the YouTube clips and they saw a similarity to Dobbs. And Dobbs was the last quarterback that had to have success here. But as far as like, like exiting spring, 
I do think you're right that like it didn't resonate at all. I think when the initial commitment happened, which is when Pruitt was still here, people just pulled up the YouTube clips and said, "Oh, it kind of reminds me of Dobbs a little bit. The way he moves around, the way he throws." Da 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 da. But then he went through spring, and he was not that impressive that first spring. Um, you know, again, Byron Young, a real success story. Jalen Hyatt had seven catches or whatever it was before last year. I'm, you know, Cedric Tillman, his first two years was only brought in to block. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like, and Darnell, I mean, who has been okay, but wasn't living up to the five-star hype, um, you know, in those first few years, found his mojo with Glenn Ellerby. So, I mean, again, like, it, it's on how you want to look at it. Tennessee can certainly sell, sell it their way. Uh, schools can sell it against Tennessee in their way. Only time will prove, you know, whether these guys are, have success on Sundays. And if they do, then, you know, uh, you know, kudos. I mean, think about Butch Jones. You look around the NFL, he's got quite a few guys in the NFL. Who would have thought that when they exited here? Who would have thought Emmanuel Mosley would still be playing in the NFL? Justin Coleman still playing in the NFL. Like, a lot of people didn't necessarily have that pegged, right? I mean, I know I didn't. I mean, I thought those guys were okay, but didn't see them having six, seven-year careers in the National Football League to this point. And uh, yet there they are. So, uh, you know, Shy Tuttle, another guy who went undrafted, who was in the NFL and just went home to his his Carolina Panthers this offseason. So, you know, I think that we'll find out over the next three or four years who has success out of this group. I think Darnell will. I just, you know, it may, it may not mean team success, but I think Darnell will individually have success. Sorry, Grant. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, we'll see about the other guys. Does Jalen Hyatt factor? I think Cedric Tillman's going to play. I think Cedric Tillman's going to factor, and and I just I just think he's going to have a good pro career. That's just my opinion. Yeah, here's the other thing, too. You're talking about all those guys who are still in the league from the Butch Jones era. Uh, the problem with those guys is that they feel self-made in the NFL because they weren't drafted very high. Yep. These guys developed to the point that they were drafted, maybe not as high as you wanted them drafted or they thought they were going to be drafted. But they went from, you know, undrafted free agent status or fifth or sixth round status to becoming a third, second, third, first round draft pick. Whereas those guys that you're talking about with Butch Jones, they were sort of afterthoughts when they left Tennessee, yet they're still in the National Football League, which is a credit to them. But they didn't exactly go and become higher paid guys as rookies because their draft stock wasn't necessarily higher as a senior than it was as a sophomore when they were at Tennessee. You cannot say that about Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, uh, Hendon Hooker, Darnell Wright, and Byron Young. I mean, I mean, if you really think about it, look at the number of players Tennessee has in the league, and you do balls in the NFL every week. All of those guys are either fifth, sixth, seventh round picks or undrafted free agents. There are very few that are in that first, second, third round range. There are very few Daryl Taylors who kind of rose up to, what, 52 or whatever. Eric, you, you talked about his exact uh, number you know, a week or two ago um, in that first and second round range. Like most of those guys are, again, doing it later in rounds. You know, and Trey's different. He fell for another reason. He's a higher pick than what he was allowed to be. Um, but, you know, again, most of those guys are later rounds or undrafted free agents. So, again, the, the fact Tennessee's even got NFL players right now in a lot of ways, um, the, the number, the mass number that they have is pretty impressive considering where they got drafted. And, and, and or didn't get drafted at all and have found ways on the NFL rosters as undrafted free agents. Well, let's start at the top here. And Grant says this is your team. You can, you can get the first say here. 
Who would have thought that Darnell Wright, I think we all kind of assumed that he was going to be a first-rounder by the time the draft got here. Austin called it a long time ago, but he continued to climb and climb and climb. But I don't think anybody, anybody thought that he was going to be a top-10 pick. Maybe the second offensive tackle, but the top-10 pick, going number 10 to the Chicago Bears. It is Darnell Wright, the Bears. 10 to 18. I said anywhere from 10 to 18. I mean, I, I was absolutely shocked that he went top 10. Good for him. The Bears had the number one overall pick, traded down, and then they traded, they, they flopped picks with, uh, Jay, uh, with uh, excuse me, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, there on draft night, and they took Darnell right there. Uh, Grant, being a Bears fan, how exciting is that? Uh, how's the, the fan base, and were you as shocked as, as I was that Darnell Wright went 10th overall? I mean, he had been mocked there, you know, as much as we put down mock drafts and say it's a bunch of guessing. Mel Kiper did put him at number nine about three weeks ago or something like that to Chicago. And with Chicago, and I think Brent asked me about it last week on the podcast. I said, I, I doubt it. I think he asked me in the group text the, the night the first round was happening. I was like, I, I doubt it. But, you know, I'm an idiot because clearly it happened. But I think I, I didn't think enough about how – Darnell started at the Senior Bowl, and, t- and uh, Chicago's staff was working the Senior Bowl and working with Darnell, yep. and they brought in – I didn't know um, that the Bears offensive line coach came in uh, a few weeks ago and worked out Darnell, and apparently it's a really tough workout. And um, He tried to get Darnell to quit, and Darnell didn't quit, and he, you know, he passed all the tests and all that stuff. And he has a really good relationship with that Bears offensive line coach, Chris Morgan. So I think – Based on the amount of due diligence that was done there, it shouldn't be a surprise that the Bears were willing to take him uh, as high as they did at number 10 because they had a glaring and obvious need at right tackle, and Darnell was clearly the best right tackle in the draft. He might not have been the highest-rated offensive tackle uh, in this class, but he was the best right tackle, as we've seen uh, the last year or so. Um, So it makes sense from that point of view. And and for him to go in to be a plug-and-play day-one starter, that right tackle job's his starting, you know, the moment they called his name the other night, Thursday night. And for him to go to a franchise where he already has a a relationship built with that coaching staff and that offensive coordinator, that offensive line coach, the general managers of Ryan Poles, he's a rookie GM, but he's a former offensive lineman. So that should be his forte, his specialty. So for him to go into that situation, um, it's it's hard not to to root for Darnell because of, you know Darnell he talked about it in his when he met with uh, Chicago media the other night that it felt like the, I think he said the house was crumbling at Tennessee when they didn't know you know who's going to be their coach what's going to be the NCAA sanctions the investigation that was going on and credit for Darnell he said all I could do is control what I control and just stick it out and see what happens he controlled what he controlled at an elite level uh, he played at an elite level and he turned himself into a you know, a top 10 draft pick with a $20 million contract and a ton of guaranteed money. Um, it's an awesome story. Yeah. And I mean, also that, that trust factor has got to be big for Darnell, right? I mean, the fact that he already kind of knew the, the staff, the offensive line coach has, has kind of met with him, went through a workout for Darnell to click. And like he clicked here at Tennessee, you got to have the absolute trust in your offensive line coach. And I feel like Chicago knew that. And that's why they were comfortable taking him that high. hundred percent. Um, as I, Post Cam Miller's in the portal. We taped this on Monday, and he's now in the portal uh, for those that are watching this on Tuesday. Um, you know, uh, yeah, 100%. Um, you know, he, he's big on trust. He's big on relationships. And, and Darnell, obviously, and you watched how his reaction, his interaction with um, the phone call. And, you know, he called him SEMO. And I, 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 I know that's kind of common, right? You know, but like, at the end of the day, like how many times have you been around that coach to all of a sudden feel comfortable enough to, to throw out the nickname? You know, I mean, 
Darnell, um, you know, the, the Bears are getting someone who I just think the sky's the limit for this kid. You remember, he's just 21. He, he, he played four years here. He started young. Um, had he come back, he would have played his entire, you know, fifth year as a 22-year-old and not turned 23 until he was in camp with an NFL team. Now he'll turn 22 when he is in camp in August with the Bears. And so he's got a lot of football ahead of him, a lot of uh, bright football ahead of him. And, uh, you know, uh, Justin Fields is excited. You saw that on Twitter. I don't think that was just kind of like, you know, just a random, just like, you know, check the box type tweet. They were really high on Darnell Wright. And a lot of people are. And, you know, I'm super excited for the kid. Hubs and I have been around this kid since high school. Again, I felt fortunate enough to be one of the few people that have gotten in with this kid, mostly because, you know, his, his high school coach, Billy Seals, uh, and I went to the same high school. Billy taught at Morristown East, um, you know, and so, you know, kind of got my foot in the door there. And, and again, Darnell, uh, just a good kid, man. I, I root hard for a lot of those kids that got drafted, but specifically him more, more maybe than the others. Yeah, I think it says a lot about Darnell and what people think of his upside. For the Bears to pass on um, uh, the kid from Northwestern, I'm going to mess up his last name, who's a Chicago native. Um, Peter Skaronsky. Skaronsky, yeah. Yeah, well, he's a guard, so. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. They needed a true <laughs> tackle, and, and Darnell's a true tackle. Here's the other thing I think you're seeing more and more with the draft, and and I we I learned this talking to Coach Dave McGinnis on Friday when I was in Nashville doing some draft coverage with Titans radio, the senior bowls carrying more weight than it's ever carried. When you look at the number of players who are getting drafted out of the senior bowl, the number of players who have improved their stock significantly at the senior bowl, because of what you said, Grant, the fact that NFL staffs are down there working that bowl. They're working not, not just on game day, but they're doing drills and they're involved. I'm not saying it's more important than the combine because it's not because the combine, you get all the medical stuff, you do all the personnel interview and that type of thing. But the football part of it, the senior bowl is really important. And if you're a college player and you get invited to the senior bowl, you better accept that invite because that's where you can really improve your stock more than a private workout or a pro day. Um, I, I think the senior bowl right now with what Jim Nagy's done down there in terms of getting better players into that bowl, there was a period of time, eight or 10 years ago where there wasn't a lot of really good players there. You look, I think a hundred player, hundred participants last year were drafted. I don't know what the number is this year. That thing's taking on a brand new level of importance. And I think that's something college players should remember if that invite comes, because you can make a lot of money at the senior bowl. And I think Darnell started his track to making a lot more money with his play at the senior bowl. And I think it's worth noting that Chris Morgan told Darnell, um, it, it was really hard not to tell you in advance that we were going to pick you. So I think there was a lot of conviction from the Bears that we're taking Darnell. It's just a matter of where in the draft are we taking him? Are we taking him at number nine? Do we expect Jalen Carter to get to us? Are we going to try to trade that pick? Because there's all the talk around Jalen Carter. And, you know, is he a self-starter? Is he a real worker? Is he have maturity issues? All the stuff that people kind of throw out there in that pre-draft process. And Chicago would not – would would you know, obviously he's a talented player and, and Chicago needs somebody like Jalen Carter, but that might not have been the best fit for him. Philly may be the best, uh, the better fit for him. I think for the Bears, it's just a matter of how far can we trade back and still get Darnell. They only went back one spot. Maybe they didn't have a trade partner beyond that. But I think there was some conviction from the Bears entering the draft that we're drafting Darnell Wright wherever we have to draft him. Was, well, it, was it Darnell Wright no matter what? 
It was Darnell Wright, no matter what, and it was on a little yellow sticky pad. He took it out of his pocket, unfolded it, traded a bunch of picks, all that. You got to love it. All right, uh, as far as the quarterbacks, you had Bryce Young, the win number one to the Panthers, CJ Stroud number two to the Texans. That was about um, as expected. Anthony Richardson went fourth to the Colts, and then the slide happened. Nobody took Will Levis. Nobody traded in to get either one of him or Hendon Hooker. Uh, you had three teams picking towards the top of the second round in the Tennessee Titans at 41, the Seahawks at 37, and the Rams at 36 that all could take a quarterback. It was the Titans that moved up, took Will Levis with the second pick of the second round. That makes it just now three quarterbacks in the last six years who have gone in the second round because Hendon Hooker slides, and he goes to the Lions with the, I think it was the fifth pick of the third round, uh, going to the Detroit Lions. Um, as far as just the makeup, as far as the fit, I, none of us are Detroit Lions experts on this podcast. I understand that. But it's a situation, Austin, where you got Jared Goff. I don't believe there's any guaranteed money in 24. I think 23 is a big season for Jared Goff. Played well in 2022, but a situation where you can go in, you've got young receivers, you kind of turn in that organization around. You can sit, watch, get healthy, learn, and then potentially get the keys next year or maybe in a couple of years. A good situation, it feels like, for Hendon Hooker. Well, 100% it's a good situation because they're an up-and-coming, uh, you know, team that, that, you know, the franchise has got a lot of youth, got a lot of excitement around it. Just a couple of years ago, they were a team that played a bunch of close games but couldn't get over the hump, you know. And then last year, they finally get over the hump. They they finished above 500 at the end of the season win at, at Lambeau. Um, you know, that's something they hadn't done since the early 90s. Now they've done it, I think, what? two times in three years or something like that. I mean, they, you know, they just don't win at Lambeau late, especially late in the year um, outside. And, and the Lions have got a lot of young talent on both sides of the ball. Um, love their young receiving core, uh, you know, with Jamison Williams. And, you know, we'll see what Goff does, um, you know. But, you know, Detroit's got a nice young nucleus. And, you know, there's a lot of excitement there. And Aaron Rodgers is no longer in the north, so it's wide open. Um, as long as Kirk Cousins is with Minnesota, they'll be just good enough to be in play, but I'm not sure they'll be good enough to get over the top. And, you know, you know, uh, no, no offense to Ramey's Bears, but you know, they've got to prove it to me. So, like, the Lions have a legit shot to win the North this year. Um, you know, and so I, I think it's a great fit because you don't have to come in and have pressure on him. Goff's there this year. We'll see what they decide to do after that with him. But uh, there's no pressure on Hendon, which is a nice uh, – I think a nice caveat when you're coming in, you're not going to be medically cleared until, you know, right about the time the season kicks off. So a couple of picks down from Hidden Hooker, who goes 68th overall to the Lions. You go back to back, and then three picks after that, you go with Byron Young, but it's uh, Jalen Hyatt to the Giants, Cedric Tillman to the Browns at 73 and 74, and then Byron Young to the Rams at 77. Uh, Brent, I feel like the Giants were a team that were high on Jalen Hyatt the entire time. I thought it was pretty far-fetched they would go with him in the first round. Obviously, they, they didn't. Uh, but they're a team that really liked Jalen Hyatt the entire time, wanted his speed to get vertical. They've got to replace Kadarius Toney and a couple other uh, wide receivers up there uh, in, in Jersey and uh, somebody to compliment Shepard on the other side and and all that. And they, they think they found that in Jalen Hyatt, a guy that they're high on. I think this is a nice little move for Jalen Hyatt he probably didn't want to get drafted in the third round but that's where he ends up and I think he ends up in a good spot in a team that has kind of turned the corner and they're pretty good now well and I mean it depends on how the quarterback plays yeah. um you know but yeah he needs more weapons around him for sure they need to stretch the field vertically you you kind of want to try to creep that box back a little bit so Barkley can do his thing you want somebody who can take the top off and 
and go after it. And, and Jalen Hyatt makes, you know, is a guy that does that. I mean, there's going to be some adjustments to Jalen Hyatt for Jalen Hyatt. I'm going to be curious to see where they play him. Do they play him on the inside at the slot where he can continue to get free releases? Or, or is he going to have to get better at, at man coverage on the outside and people are going to press him up? Um, there's no doubt he can run. Um, you know, how physical he's going to be, I think, is is his next challenge going to the NFL. Um, but there, there's no doubt that the talent is there for him to, to be a, to be to be a really good to be a really good you know player. I don't know Grant that he's ever a number one. I don't think he's ever a number one for anybody, um, you know, offensively. But but I think he is a guy that uh, can win some some single coverage and and can win as a, a complement receiver for a franchise. And I think that's what the Giants are looking for. Yeah, and I don't think he has to be a number one. You're, I don't think you're drafting him to be a number one. I think you're drafting him to be that guy that you talked about that, that brings that speed, that takes the top off opposing defenses, and is that deep threat. And if you got the quarterback and the offense that can make it work, and it, it's very similar to Hendon, very, an up-and-coming franchise, and, and they're kind of going forward in the right way. Uh, it kind of feels like a lot of good vibes around those teams and, and the way they're building. Uh, for them to get that kind of speed and that kind of uh, value in the third round. Uh, I love that pick. I love uh, Cedric Tillman too. I mean, it's, you, you know, you hate the high ankle sprain and, and how much it cost him uh, last season, but for the Browns, it feels like that was a blessing for them to get that kind of value that late in the draft. I mean, he just seems like an ideal NFL receiver with his build, uh, with his arms, with his hands, uh, just the, the way he plays the game, the kind of ideal possession receiver. So for those guys to go 73 and 74 overall, I believe it was is feels like really really good value for both those teams and Tillman's gonna Tillman's gonna play early on I mean he is you just look at that wide receiver room in Cleveland and again we're not Browns fans here but there's not a whole lot you got Amari Cooper on one side you have um you know Joe Peoples Jones or whatever his name is yeah you've you got one of those guys (laughs) I had him written down last night but anyway there's going to be opportunity there for Cedric Tillman on the outside I mean maybe not game one game two but he's gonna play as, as a rookie here and you know, this is somebody that I think is might have the opportunity to be the longest lasting receiver from Tennessee in this class or you know player just because he's built for the NFL. It's he's second generation NFL talent in his family. Um, he's got sure hands. He's fast enough. I think he had once he got healthy a really good draft process, Brent. But I, I like Cedric Tillman to Cleveland because I think that he's going to play early and often in his career. Yeah, I mean I think he's a guy who plays early um, because again the Browns need help. And he's physical, and that is a physical division that they play in. Um, you know, weather's always a factor, and I mean, you got to be that's a that's a black and blue type league too. So um, I, I think he can handle that. Um, he's got to stay healthy. That's the the key for him. But you go back and look at you know two years ago, not this season, but the previous season. I mean, that was where Hendon Hooker was going in any critical situation, and everybody in the stadium knew it. And at Pittsburgh. And he still And he still had over 1,000 yards receiving that year coming out of the blue with a brand-new quarterback. So I, I think I think Cedric Tillman can play. I, I do, and uh, I was impressed with him at the pro day. I, I thought he looked fresh. I thought he looked crisp. I thought he had a really good pro day in Knoxville. And, um, you know, I don't know that the Browns are close. But because of where the Browns are right now, I do think he gets on the field early. See, so, yeah, I, I love the pick for 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 the same reason. I keep telling Trey Smith, I love that it, he's in Kansas City. You're, you're you're Deshaun Watson has talent, big time talent, and I think you go to a team that has a quarterback. If you're a receiver, especially, it makes things so much easier. You know, Daniel Jones had a decent year last year with the Giants. 
But to me, you've got to have more than one year to, you know, show that you can play. And so, like, I worry more about that with Jalen. Um, but, you know, back to Grant's point about Jalen and, you know, doesn't have to be a number two or doesn't have to be a, a number one. I agree. Look at Deshaun Jackson. Deshaun Jackson is still hanging around. 15 years after, you know, he returned punts against Tennessee out there in 07. I mean, you know, I mean, he, he's been in the league for a long time being someone who, you know, knows what he's good at and is good at it. And so, you know, with, with, with Jalen Hyatt, same thing. You know, excel at what you're good at. And and I'm with Hubs. I think that, you know, going to play early. And, again, you got a good quarterback throwing you the football in Cleveland. And I think that that means a, a world of difference. And Hubs brings up a great point. Physical in a division where you have to be physical. With all those teams defensively, the Bengals, the Ravens, you know, the Steelers, they're going to beat you up. And then last one to get drafted, 77th overall, just three picks after Tillman going to Cleveland. It's Byron Young. He's going to the L.A. Rams, um, whereas Tillman might be, and of course, rides a plug-and-play. Tillman might see some action early in his career. You know, maybe that's not the case for Byron Young. He's probably going to be more used as situational. He's got to get a little bit more bigger, you know, stronger and all that type of stuff. But Leonard Floyd, you know, top sack getter, TFL guy for the Rams last year. Uh, got to find a replacement for him, and so there could be opportunities there. Grant, for for Byron Young, a guy that absolutely blazed at his uh, NFL combine running a 4-3-4 or whatever it was, or 4-4-3. Um, he's in the league now to the L.A. Rams and a chance to maybe be a part of those packages and get after the quarterback. Why you got to bring up Leonard Floyd like that? This whole <laughs> podcast has been like no offense to the Bears, but that's not. <laughs> you bring up Leonard Floyd, it's just bad memories. I mean – I don't. Everybody knows Byron's story, but uh, it feels like you still can't overstate enough the fact that he goes from an assistant manager at Dollar General in Columbus, Georgia, to seeing a tryout for Georgia Military College and all that stuff, and, and getting you know a, a, an offer at Tennessee and, and doing what he did the last two years. I think it feels like for all these guys, for Darnell, for Jalen, for Cedric, there's a certain amount of patience that had to pay off, and a certain amount of you just had to find the right opportunity, and the right coaches had to find the right players, and, and put them into place. I mean, I think if you have that talent, uh, somebody's going to find you and you're going to be able to take advantage of that talent. And for him to go from where he was just a few years ago in Columbus, Georgia, to putting up the insane numbers he put up at the combine to suddenly being a third round pick. And, and now you're headed to the Los Angeles Rams to, to play with those guys that you just rattled off. I mean, I, I don't think you can overstate it. And, and it's a good, probably it's a good thing where he's going into where he just has to be used situationally and he doesn't have to be leaned on from day one to be the man and he can kind of work his way in uh, because it's an incredible opportunity uh, in an incredible situation. Special teams going to have to get, going to have to start there. I think he can get himself, right. uh, you know, carve out a little role on special teams and then see where he can get into the mix as a pass rusher and, and go from there. But what you know about Byron Young is he's going to show up every day for work. He's not afraid to work. He enjoys working and uh, he's going to do everything he can to take full advantage of the opportunity in front of him. Uh, Grant, I'll send you the link to the to the Super Bowl shuffle uh, when the podcast is over so you can have something fun about your Bears since the first As 30. if I don't have it already saved or anything. Yeah, it's ready to go. You don't have it. I, I would ask you to sing it for us, but I'm not sure I'm not sure anybody's interested in hearing you you, you sing like Willie Galt, but um, you, you can remember that one at a later date, right? Right. I've got a Bears starter jacket within reach over here. I could I could pull it out if I need to. All right, so five balls drafted. Then you had Prince and Fance, uh, undrafted free agent deal to the Cowboys. Jerome Carvin to the Chiefs. 
linking up not with Trey Smith, but also with Wanya Morris, who went to the Chiefs in the third round. Jeremy Banks to the Buccaneers, Paxton Brooks to the Colts, Latrell Bumpets to the Giants. All those guys are going to have an opportunity to try to make camp and then ultimately try to make uh, those football teams. And uh, all the coverage from this past weekend, uh, Vols in the NFL Draft over at VolQuest.com. Big thanks to our friends over Exterior Home Solutions for making this podcast possible. Your roof, it's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solutions. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Special thanks to our friends at Exterior Home Solutions for their continued sponsorship of the VolQuest podcast. Be sure and hit that like button on this podcast and subscribe to the channel. We certainly appreciate everybody's support for that. Uh, the Tennessee baseball team, Eric Kane, everybody wondered if they really did find their footing against Vanderbilt after that sweep and that, you know, that was just dramatic walk-off win Friday night against the Commodores. Uh, they apparently have, as uh, Tennessee found a way to, to get a sweep against Mississippi State. Big lead, gave it away, rallied from behind in day two, um, and then just mashed in a run rule o- over the weekend in, the, in game three of that series. What do you make of this baseball team now as they leave the hitters park and hit the road to go to Athens, Georgia? Yeah, I mean, they did what they were supposed to do, right? You you, you kind of found your footing and, and kind of turned the season, if you will, for right now against Vanderbilt in sweeping fashion. And then you host a Mississippi State team that the offense got a little pop to it, but there, there's just no pitching on that staff. That's probably the worst pitching staff in the SEC. Uh, and it's and there's not too many teams close to that. So even when they got behind early on in every single game, you knew it was far from over and Tennessee's batches came alive. And and what was also impressive was they found different ways to win. You kind of mentioned it there, Brent. They had a big lead on Thursday night, gave that big lead up, and then Griffin Merritt walks it off. They were trailing by five runs on Friday in game two, came back and won by four. And then on Sunday, they just mashed at the end and won in run rule fashion. So look good. They did what they were supposed to do. You can see that lineup is just getting deeper and deeper. They made that switch I wrote about in the 3-2-1 of uh, you know, moving up Hunter Inslee to two, Jared Dickey to three, uh, Burke to the cleanup, and Moore to five. And they've kind of ran with that the last two weekends. And it's paying dividends in a big way because Jared Dickey can hit literally anything. And Christian Moore had a big weekend in the, in the five hole. So I uh, did what they were supposed to do, looking pretty good at doing it, and now the, a challenge of going on the road and trying to win on the road against a team in Georgia that uh, is a little all over the map, but uh, you've only got one road victory this season for, if you're Tennessee, so that that's the challenge this week. Yeah, no doubt, and uh, you know I think Drew Beam for two straight weeks has thrown the ball well. I think that's a positive for Tennessee. Um, Chase Dolander did not have his best stuff as he was sick, so we'll see where that is at and exactly what things look like but it seems like they found themselves that found their weekend rotation and what they're going to go with here and it seems like they're getting the tone they want started uh in the way that they're competing on friday night with that rotation change yeah andrew lindsey's been great he's given you everything that you possibly thought he could he just continues to stretch out he can go longer and deeper and deeper into games and 
Uh, that's really, really great to see. He's arguably got the nastiest stuff of, of anybody on staff, and that includes Chase Burns. That includes Chase Dolander. Um, th- this is a guy that's got some really, really good stuff, and he's he used to be a weekend starter two years ago. Um, of course, took the last year off, and now he's back and has worked his way back in the starting rotation here now at Tennessee. Uh, Chase Dolander was pitching about as best as he has all year long, uh, but he was sick. And if you saw him walk around the ballpark, there's no chance you'd, you'd think that he was going to pitch that day. Uh, but he did. He was back in there working out the day after. He still looked pretty sick. He wasn't the only one that was sick, but uh, wanted to give it a go for his team. And ultimately, that was probably the wrong decision, uh, you know, because he got roughed up a little bit. But uh, still, he was out there. And, and then, of course, Drew Beam, he, he's separating himself from that start at Arkansas where it was just really bad. But he looked really, really good. And so in, in doing this, you got Burns again out of the bullpen that you feel so good about. They got to get Halverson going. Halverson's been slacking a little bit the last couple of weeks, not just really kind of finding his way. And and then it was good to see Cannon Sewell be as dominant as he was on on uh, in game two. So yeah, that's the rotation they're going to go with. Uh, you love the options you have in the bullpen, and um, this team is really starting to kind of come together now. Nine games left in the SEC regular season. Uh, if Tennessee wins five of them, you're potentially Six of them, you're potentially looking at hosting a regional, but uh, to get to that lucky number 14, you're just three games away. Well, Beam, you know, to me, has been the anchor all year long. And, I mean, you look at the Florida series, you look at the LSU series, where Tennessee lost games on, on the first the last, the first two games of both the series. He's able to get a, a, a win on, on either Saturday or Sunday, depending on when the, the series started. He did have that terrible outing in Arkansas, but, you know, you're right. I mean, be able to throw a complete game, Sunday, you didn't have to throw anybody else, you know, which goes back to a week, a week ago when Dolander did the same thing on a run rule um, against Vanderbilt when, again, you didn't have to throw anybody, save some arms because you, you're going to need them, especially going on the road. South Carolina's playing good baseball here in a few weeks. And then, obviously, you know, you go to Georgia, and as Eric noted, Georgia's kind of been all over the map. They've been really good at times and kind of at times. Um, but who in the hell is Christian Scott, and w- w- what did they do with him? Because all of a sudden he is hitting like at a, at a pace. Like I mean, I'm telling you, I don't know how many times you saw it on on the generals quarters. How many times did you see Christian Scott's killing this team? Christian Scott's killing this team. Every time he comes up, I know it's an out. Every time he comes up, I know it's an out. I know, and I was watching. I'm like, well, here he is, runners on base, two outs, and you just don't have much faith. All of a sudden, he's raking. I mean, like, you know, had that double uh, Sunday at the homer before that. Um, continues to be a, a, a much tougher out than he was earlier in the year. Putting bat to ball so much more frequently. Uh, he had a lot of strikeouts early in the year. Not doing the case anymore. And um, just just really impressed by kind of, you know, an older guy who's kind of hung in there. Um, was, you know, obviously known for his defense and his maybe his base running if he got on base. But has turned into a solid little hitter. Uh, for the back end of this this team. And, and, again, they've all started to kind of find their footing at the plate. And, uh, you know, it, having a guy like Christian Scott, who, again, was probably a bit of a liability as a hitter a month and a half ago, is all of a sudden no longer a liability, is a big deal to a lineup that, as Eric and, and you guys have said, is starting to kind of get hot. Best thing about that is he's hit nine in the order, right? Eighth or ninth every single yeah, game. Yeah, eighth of the Sunday. 295 is the average now. Oh, what about SEC play? 277 in SEC play, and that's the third highest average on the team. Again, it's not a great number, but that just goes to show you, yeah, he's been one of Tennessee's best hitters in SEC play. As uh, surprising as that is to to maybe say, 
you know, the last two weeks he's absolutely right, like you mentioned. But even before that, I mean, there's a reason he's been playing. He's been hitting well enough. He's been giving them good, good enough at bats, just like Cal Stark behind the plate, to where they feel good about it. And then what he brings defensively, it just can't be matched. He's the best glove there in the outfield, and he saved a couple different runs this weekend with some diving catches. He's really good on the base pass. And, yeah, that that's a really good story. That might be one of the better stories of Tennessee baseball this year for sure is Christian Scott giving Tennessee an everyday outfield. And, and again, because he's out there playing every single day for you, you have options with Dryling, with Griffin Merritt, with a healthy Kavars Tears to where you can have one of those guys DH depending on matchup, and then two of those guys come on and pinch hit late in game. So Christian Scott's been good, and I uh, had a little write-up about him in the 3-2-1, but uh, Tennessee's really excited about him at the bottom of the order. I've got a, I've got a question for Eric Kane. If I can, first time well, listener, long time caller. No, first time caller, long time listener. Is the curse of Eric Kane dead? What, what I mean, has if, happened for that to be dead? Someone tweeted me this weekend and said, Did "If you got blamed for the downfall of Tennessee baseball, can you get blamed for the resurrection of Tennessee baseball?" Did you I tweet mean, that from your burner? <laughs> your I mean, that's fair, right? <laughs> no, J- James Bailey is not my burner. All right. Uh, I guess it has to be, right? I mean, Tennessee's, what, seven in a row, swept back-to-back weekends? I mean, I'm not trying to take credit for it. If you win the series against Georgia, to me, it locks them in for the NCAA because Tennessee's not going to get swept by by Kentucky at home or South Carolina on the road, in my opinion. Again, they may lose either one of those series, but to me, they would get get them to uh, 13 wins, 15's that magic number, and again, that means you're only going to win two out of your next six games. In league play, if you can win the series this week, really 14. 14 with a yeah, top but I think fifteen's a lock. Like fourteen is still a little bit up in the air. It's not a total lock at fourteen. There's been exceptions. Yeah, I mean, it, the biggest thing about this Georgia series for me, and I said it a moment ago, was I mean, you, you got to prove you can win sure, on the road. You yeah, you played yourself in the position to where you can talk about hosting a regional right now, but you're you're still far away from that. You got to prove that you can go and win games away from Lindsey Nelson. I mean, you really do. And so uh, Georgia, a team that's a little all over the map, uh, swept Arkansas a couple weeks ago, which is just mind-boggling, but have lost a whole lot of series. A very winnable series. Yeah, can you go down there and take two or three uh, in Athens? I mean, that's that's the biggest thing for me. But if you do win this series, whether it's by sweep or two or three, you're setting yourself up as just like a tee shot to just go and get a couple more wins, one one or two, depending on the way you view it, and you're a lock for NCAA tournament play without having to go on a run at Hoover. So any way you want to spin it, this baseball team is is uh, coming around the right time and, and playing some good baseball, Brent. Yeah, they're, I mean, they are. I mean, this is when you want to be. You want to be getting hot at the right time. Can the bats stay stay warm uh, on the road? Can they, you know, can they hit the ball on the road the way they have at home the last two weekends, and can they throw it? I mean, this is – look, it's all on them. Go prove it. I mean, go prove you can do it, and it starts by um, playing well on Friday night and 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 fielding the ball and and you know doing the things they need to do behind the pitching on Friday night. I mean, you go back to that Arkansas series; they got off to a great start on Friday night, had a golden opportunities, couldn't do enough at the plate, and, and then in the third inning it fell apart because they didn't field the baseball and do what they need to do. And they've got to play cleaner on the road than they have this year. That's the biggest thing, whether that's on the base pass running. Uh, or whether that's in the field of play. If they can do that, then they're going to put themselves in a position where they want to be, um, and you want to be a team late in the year that nobody wants to play, and it starts to, it's starting to feel like Tennessee's moving in that direction. They've still got to do some things to say that that's definitely where they are right now, and winning on the road is paramount in doing that. No doubt it's going to be a big weekend for Tennessee baseball against Georgia and Athens. We'll have coverage of allquest.com as 
just nine games left in the conference slate. There'll be a couple of midweeks in between, and then it is time for the SEC tournament. Uh, quickly, before we go, I want to hit on football recruiting and basketball numbers. We'll go to Austin real quick. Where are we now in Tennessee football recruiting? Obviously, some commits have been sprinkling in here. Who could be next? What about the offensive line specifically on the recruiting trail? Well, I mean, when you look at, uh, you know, kind of where Tennessee's at, um, you know, they've got a nice core group to build upon. And then, you know, we'll see in the month of May. Uh, I think that you could see one, two guys uh, pull the trigger in May. Um, you know, uh, Kellen Lindstrom, uh, to me, that's Tennessee, Oklahoma. I, I, this one, to me, is just going to come out of left field on a random Tuesday, guys. Like, I, you know, I, I don't think this is going to be kind of something like, you know, Eyeball, 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 Tuesday at five, you know, text. I mean, or tweet. Maybe maybe I'm wrong there, but he just feels like a kid that is over the process, doesn't want any part of the hoopla, and is just going to, you know, do it and then take an official visit to whichever school he picks in June and then roll from there. Um, you know, I think, you know, you could possibly see somebody pull the trigger uh, in late May. Um, I think that's that's still a real possibility. Um, as far as offensive line, I mean, obviously Ronan O'Connell, in-state kid. Tennessee would love to pair him with uh, Jesse Perry, um, Gage Genther, um, that are committed to Tennessee right now. I think Tennessee's taking at least four, probably five. They, they would love to get more tackles. Um, William Satterwhite's a guy out of Ohio that visited last month. You know, where's his interest in Tennessee? I think Tennessee likes him a good bit. Can they get him out of the state of Ohio? That's normally pretty hard. Clemson's also a factor there for him. Uh, you know, you've got Max Anderson, state of Texas, uh, tackle, uh, t- you know, Rodney or Glenn, Rodney Ellerby, Glenn Ellerby, Rodney Ellerby, <laughs> West High. Um, Glenn Ellerby was uh, by uh, to see him last week. And, uh, you know, Tennessee's trying to be a factor there. I, I think he'll probably, you know, visit again sometime, uh, uh, potentially unofficially late May, and then he'll officially visit here in June. I think Tennessee um, has done a nice job with Max. And so, those are just a few names. And then again, Tennessee's going to continue to swing at, at Brandon Baker. They're going to continue to swing, you know, at, at Ethan Callaway and, and some of these other offensive linemen. But, you know, Tennessee's got several on the board that uh, they're heavily in play with. And then, uh, you know, starting a new month of May, obviously, what's kind of on the calendar this week? What's the next big thing? Is it the rebranded Rocky Tapapalooza? Well, I don't know if it's officially been rebranded or not. Um, there's – there's talk of a rebranding. I'm not sure. Either way, it's the they should. It's the Memorial Day Magic event, um, you know, which will be followed quickly by the On Three Elite Series event, which is just a number of high end kids. It'll be in Nashville that following week. Um, Jaden Riddell is going to be in for that weekend. Uh, Ryan Wingo is going to be in for that weekend. Um, Daniel Hill has said he's going to be in for that weekend until he gets here. He's again Noah Rogers for me. Um, if he gets here though, he instantly becomes not Noah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I, I think there's a chance that Tennessee has several other big time guys in that weekend. Riddell's interesting to me because he's going to visit again, Georgia the week before unofficially Tennessee that weekend of Memorial day unofficially, and then visit officially both of them in the month of June and maybe Alabama. We'll see if he's Alabama again. I think Alabama's running a distant third for him. Um, I know what rusty, um, you know, put on, uh, you know, Dogs HQ, that if right now if, if it, it's really kind of up in the air, but right now he would take Georgia. I think both sides feel like it's kind of – I think everybody involved thinks it's kind of right down the middle, 50-50, depending on which side you're on. It could be 51-49. Again, last week I said I would still take Tennessee. I know Chad said he would take Tennessee. 
Rusty says he would take Georgia. I think we're all we all know where we're kind of each everybody's getting it from everybody's different side. Um, you know, and talking to Jaden, uh, I think the kids are legitimately torn quite a bit. Um, but I think he really likes Alec Ablin, um, and he likes Tennessee's uh, makeup as a coaching staff. All right, and finally, to uh, conclude this edition of the podcast, Grant, a lot of people have been asking about the numbers uh, for Tennessee basketball. Any update on how that's going to kind of work itself out? At this point, Eric we Kane. need a beautiful mind gif is what we need. I'm, I'm <laughs> Eric sure Kane, ask, ask, me, like. ask me if Jordan Ganey is going to be a scholarship player, Eric Kane. No, why Why is Ganey going to be a scholarship player? No, that's what I want you to why. answer. Ask me if he is. What I was told <laughs> late last week, same thing. Don't shoot the messenger. Same thing I've been told the whole process. He's going to be a scholarship player. They expect somebody to leave via the transfer portal. I don't know who that is. Don't ask me. We'll figure it out. They have a hard deadline of May 11th when the portal closes. So we're sitting here 10 days away where they got to figure it out and get somebody in the portal. Uh, and obviously you want to do that sooner rather than later because there's a lot of work to be done once you do get in the portal and you're trying to find a new home. So uh, May 11th the deadline. The last two weekends have been live evaluation periods. And, um, the war room Friday night had some you know locations where the coaches were over the weekend and, and Rick was in you know, at the uh, Nike event in Arizona, Phoenix, I believe it was. And they were just kind of all over the place at, at Nike, uh, Under Armour, and Adidas. And there's about 15 or so names for 2024, 2025. I think with 24, they're only going to have a couple slots to fill. And they'll also do some stuff in the – obviously pay attention to the transfer portal and try to help there as well. Uh, but only a couple slots to fill in 24. And it's still early there, and it's way early 25. But for the current roster, sitting at 14, they've got 10 days to figure out. Uh, what's going to happen, how they're going to get to 13, who's going to bounce. I do think it's still at this point Jordan Gaines, a scholarship player, and they're going to have somebody in the portal. Just don't know who. I'm I'm a big uh, – you know, I'm all for Rick going to these Adidas events, Nike events and everything. But just hubs, make sure I'm at the Peter Millar event. <laughs> aren't you hosting a Peter Millar event? Aren't you like the guest speaker? Yeah. I mean, aren't you the featured speaker at, hey. at the deal? All I know is Rob, Rob is on his 25th anniversary trip with his wife. He's been wearing his Peter Millar VolQuest quarter zips all over, all over, uh, you know, Italy. And, you know, P Peter's taking on Italy big time, and we appreciate it. Where, where would you that Peter, Peter Millar event be held, no, Austin? You, you, don't send Peter, uh, you don't send Austin to a Peter Millar event. Peter Millar goes to Austin. He probably lives in Austin's garage or something. Buddy, you, like if you went to my closet, you'd just shake your head. Hey, I, I saw him walk into a Peter Millar store in Nashville, and it was like Norman Cheers when he walked in. <laughs> that was Norm, I get that one, guys. The best part was the, the Ballquester in there shopping. That is the best part of <laughs> was in there shopping. Is exactly right. All right. We'll call it quits right there at the mention of Austin's Closets. Uh, every single week is presented by Exterior Home Solutions. For a free estimate, give them a call today at 865-524-5888. A big thank you, as always, to our proud sponsors, Exterior Home Solutions. Be sure to like and subscribe this video. Get in front of more Tennessee fans. If you haven't already, uh, subscribe to the uh, VolQuest YouTube channel. I encourage you to go ahead and do that right now. Uh, for Grant Ramey, Austin Price, Brent Hubs, I am Mary Kane. Appreciate you guys for tuning in here on a Tuesday to the VolQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the VolQuest Podcast every week here on VolQuest.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.